It's time for mystery. Mystery Radio. It's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Lou Crager, Mr. Dollar. Yeah, Lou, what's up? They found the boat a few miles off the Atlantic side of St. Croix. Oh? She was empty. Neither one of them aboard? No. From what I understand, it looks like there was trouble, all right. How's that? Blood stains. I guess signs of a struggle. The engine had run until it was out of gas. They're sure it's the boat, huh? Yeah, they must be. Oh, they're sure. It's registered to Willard South. Yeah, all right. Where can I see it? Well, they won't have it in for another 30 minutes. The police dock is next to Royal Mail. You can't miss it. I'll meet you there if you want. Good, Lou. I'll see you in about 20 minutes. Edmund O'Brien and the transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Great Eastern Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Willard South matter. Expense account item one, $143.80, airfare and incidentals between Hartford and the city of Charlotte Amelie, Island of St. Thomas, Virgin Island Group. I arrived there two days after the disappearance of your policyholders, Willard South and his wife, Georgina and one day after the report had been made by his foster mother. She was too upset to be questioned, but I did find a local guide and boat owner who claimed to know the boating habits of Willard South through a number of fishing trips. I made arrangements with him to start my own search the next morning, but it was this guide, Luke Crager, who phoned that second evening to tell me that South's cruiser had been found empty. Over here. Uh, yellow. I didn't know if you'd spotted me or not. I hadn't. You could do better on light down here. Oh, that is part of the romance of the island. Ah, this is the boat, huh? The police officer still aboard. A native by the name of Shoy. I told him you were coming. Uh, we can go aboard now. In the cabin. Officer Shoy? Yes? Uh, Mr. Dollar is here. Come inside, then. Thanks for letting me aboard, officer. Glad to meet you, Mr. Dollar. I was sent to uh, your University of Iowa to learn to be a policeman. It's a good school. I learned what they taught me, but I've had no chance to learn if what they taught me is right. It is our boast that there is no crime in the Virgin Islands. That has been right. But now this... Well, it happens in the best of circles sooner or later. What do you make of it? Oh, let me show you with my light. Near the wheel, think. Uh, the bullet still in the wood? Yes. I will take out the piece of the panel with a saw and uh, take the bullet from that. Uh, it's bloodstain under the wheel. Are there more like it? This is the large one. As if somebody fell there. As if somebody fell there. There are more here and more in the passageway than uh, on the deck. There on the rail, as if somebody climbed over the side or was was pushed over. Yeah. There's uh, one other thing back here. This piece of line. Look. Uh, it's been cut. Mr. Crager says a small boat was usually tied to the stern. You sure of that, Lou? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Will had always trailed a dinghy. You know, like a skiff, unless he was trolling. Then he hoisted it aboard. But where is it now? You're searching for it, aren't you? Yes. So is the Coast Guard boat. I wish you luck. A little skiff will be a lot harder to find than a cruiser like this. Well, I'll be anxious to learn of any developments, Officer Shoy. I'm staying at the Grand. Nothing had developed by noon the next day. I spent the morning on routine legwork. And at 12.30... I was back at the Willard South address. It was an old building with enough elevation to give its windows a view of Charlotte Amelie's pleasant harbor. I'd known Willard South.
foster mother lived there, but I hadn't known about the man who met me at the door. I'm Willard's brother. I was told you'd called yesterday. Mr. Dollar, come in. Your mother was too upset to talk with me yesterday. You've gotten the news on what they found, I suppose. Yes, I went down to see the boat. Has anything further been learned? No, not yet. Sit down, Mr. Dollar. It's cooler here on the veranda. Thank you. I wasn't here yesterday because I was searching for Willard's boat, too. I'm surprised to learn Willard has a brother. I've asked a lot of questions about him in the village. Nobody mentioned you. Uh, well, I'm only here a few days a year. My, uh, my home is in Tampa. I arrived the first of the week, Tuesday. Mm. I'm glad I met you before I had to see your mother. It's a lot easier to be blunt with a brother. Blunt, Mr. Dollar? About Willard's reputation on the island... I can't seem to find anybody who doesn't hate him. I'm afraid you won't, either. Do you know anyone who hated him enough to shoot him? Well, I, uh, I hardly know how to answer that. I, I know a number of men have been hurt seriously by him. The ones that have lost wives? Yes. Do you think he's dead? I don't know. The only thing I'm sure of is that there was a shooting on his boat and somebody was hurt. I'm told your brother and his wife were seen leaving on it at dusk, night before last... Is that right? Uh, Yes, they'd packed an evening meal. Meal had never been eaten. Were little trips like this a regular habit of theirs? Uh, No, they weren't at all. It was a special occasion. Georgina has never stopped hoping she could reform Willard and win him back. This trip was one more of her efforts. Did they say where they were going? No, but I thought it would be Calibra. That's an island about 20 miles from here in a westerly direction. Mother said they started that way... But the boat was found almost 40 miles in the other direction. It's a matter of 60 miles. Yes, 60 miles. Mr. Dollar, what could have happened in those 60 miles? I don't know yet, but I hope to find out. You knew about the skiff being cut loose. Yes, they told me, but... Paul, Paul, dear. Yes, Mother. Who's with you? Is there any news? Nothing yet. Mother, this is Mr. Dollar from the insurance company. How do you do, Mr. Dollar? Mrs. South, I'm... Sorry I have to meet you at a time like this. A great many crises in the past ten years have revolved around my son, Willard. I've conditioned myself to expect them. Even his death by violence, if that should be. Mother, please. But if harm has come to Georgina... There's no evidence of that, Mrs. Sell. Well, if it does, I shall hold myself responsible. Mother. Because I allowed her to become the wife of the beast I have called my son. <laughs> situation. There was no actual evidence that Willard South had been murdered, but almost everyone I talked to seemed to think he had been, simply because there were so many motives. One of the people who didn't think so was a newcomer to the island, Celeste Robertson, there to take advantage of the six weeks divorce law. Who told you about me? A bartender up the street. He said you and South had been seen together recently. Yes, I know him. As a matter of fact, I've spent quite a bit of time with him in the last couple of weeks. Where do you think he is? But I... I don't know. You think he's dead? No. No, I don't. Most people do. Well, I can't help that. I know a lot of people don't like him. Would there be anyone close to you that doesn't like him? No, there wouldn't. I'm here alone. Mm. When did you see him last? The afternoon before he and his wife disappeared in their boat. You answered that almost as if you knew you'd be asked the question. Well, I didn't. I just remembered it was only a couple of days ago. But you wouldn't remember his mentioning anybody who might be out after his scalp, huh? I understand he enjoys that sort of thing. He never mentioned anybody. What are you holding back, Mrs. Robertson? Nothing. I don't have anything to hold back. Did he ever say anything to you about getting rid of his wife? I don't know what you mean. Look, all we have to work with is a bullet hole in the boat and some bloodstains that could have come from her or from him. He never said anything. And what are you afraid of? I'm not. Look, Mr. Dollar, please, I... I don't want to get my name mixed up in this if I can help it. I, I'm here sort of on good behavior. I know I was wrong to see him because he was married, but... But what? Just because I did see him, I don't think I have to get mixed up in things like shooting. Something I don't know about at all. I guess you can't be blamed for that. You don't have to get mixed up in it. Unless you already are. 
All that day, planes searched the sea for the missing skiff. Boats, too, swept back and forth between the islands. It wouldn't seem possible that anything they missed would ever be found. But it was. That evening, after the planes had given up in order to get back to their fields before dark, a radio report was received from one of the boats. The skiff had been found, and in it, still alive, was Mrs. Willard South. I was with Officer Shoy when the boat was docked under the steady hand of a leathery old skipper with the help of one crewman. Get some fingers over, Gerald. What's the matter with you? All right. Take a strain now. We can go aboard now, Mr. Dollar. All right. Hello, Captain Blanken. Hello yourself, Officer Shoy. Your luck is good. Uh, ain't used these eyes for 72 years for nothing, Officer Shoy. How's Mrs. South? Can she talk to us? She cannot. She's been put through a hard time. She gets turned over to Dr. Gar before she talks to anybody else. What about her husband? Did she say what happened? Yes, she did. She's seen him shot down before her very eyes. And his dead body heaved to the sharks. And then somebody go fetch Dr. Gar. She needs some work, else she'll die. return you to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. Have you heard the news, Sing It Again? The new comedy of Jan Murray, your host, on that coast-to-coast phone? The new cash prices for cracking the mystery of Sing It Again's phantom voice? The new speed and color of the tuneful little riddle songs that make Sing It Again a Saturday night must for radio listening? You'll like the new Sing It Again. Be listening for it tonight on most of these same CBS stations. Now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. It wasn't until the next morning that Dr. Gard decided Mrs. South was strong enough to be questioned. He'd taken her to the single small hospital in Charlotte Amelie, and at ten, he beckoned from the door to her room. I think it'll be all right, but please don't tire her. Uh, Mr. Dollar. Yeah? I want you to question her. I never learned about a case like this one. I never did either. Anything you say. All right, Doctor. Georgina, this is Officer Shoy, and this is Mr. Dollar. Yes? Mr. Dollar is here to ask you some questions, but I don't want you to let him tire you. I'll try not to, Mrs. M. Why are you here? I was sent down from the States when you and your husband disappeared by your insurance company. Oh, I see. Now, I know it's pretty horrible to go back over it, but we've got to find out just what happened on that boat. The quicker we do it, the quicker we can get to the bottom of it. I'll try to help. Captain Bracken told us just the bad details. He's the boat captain who found you. Remember, I mentioned his name. Uh, yes. He told us you saw somebody shoot your husband. Who was it? I don't know. There were two men. I've never seen them before. How did they get aboard, Mrs. Sam? Oh, we were on our way to Calibra. Oh, almost halfway, I think. It was dark, and we saw a light blinking from another boat. Will said it was a signal and somebody was in trouble, and we went over. This man said they'd run out of fuel and asked if we had any to spare. But when Will pulled alongside, this man jumped on our boat with a gun and sucked Dara. It's all right, Georgina. Don't go on if you don't want to. He shot, shot Will. That's all. It, he shot him. And, and then the other man jumped aboard, too. What did they say? They, they didn't say any, anything. You think your husband knew them? No. No, he, he didn't know them. What did they do then? One of them hit me because I, 
I was screaming. I was wearing a bracelet, and he grabbed it off my wrist and, and made me take off two rings and get them to him. And they took Will's wallet and they dragged him out of them. They, they pushed him into the water. And I, I don't remember anymore. Clara, I, I, I can't. It's all right, Georgina. Nobody can hurt you now. No. Gentlemen, no, I, I think we'd better let her rest now. Sure, Doctor. I'm sorry we had to bother you, Mrs. Allen. I'm... I'm sorry. Don't be. Considering what she's been through, I think she did very well. Actually, her physical condition, except for exhaustion, is quite good. She did have water during the time she was adrift and some shelter from the sun. What do you make of it? The whole thing seems pretty brutal for simple robbery. Say, where is the nearest prison, Shoy? Puerto Rico. Now, that's something that had not occurred to me. Escaped convicts might carry out such a ruthless attack, might they not? Yeah, even more so. Well, I will send cables to both of those prisons. I think you'd better. It was little enough to go on, but it was obviously useless to try to get any more information from Mrs. South then. Dr. Guy had every right to insist that we leave his patient alone. Officer Shoy went to his headquarters to cable his questions, and I went back to the waterfront. The skiff was still on the dock, but before I even got to it, I was hailed. Hey, you there. Whatever your name is. How are you, Captain Bracken? Oh. Oh, uh, how's the invalid? Have you heard? Yeah, I just left her. She'll be okay. Yeah, lots of spunk, that one. What are you figures behind her? Well, she wasn't strong enough to tell us much. But Officer Shoy is checking the possibility that those two men she talks about might be escaped convicts. Say, they might have been. Well, I can't see anybody like that leaving her alive to talk about it. And no matter how low they get, there's them that can't kill a woman, I suppose. Uh, what are you doing down here? I want to take a look at that skiff by daylight. The escaped prisoner theory is too long a chance to rest on. It still may have been a local job. Oh, I hate to see it turn out that way somehow. Why do you say that? Oh, this wants to be a peaceful island. It's the truth. Nobody wastes any affection on Willie. But if it'd been downright fitting if two escaped convicts done that devil in. I spent 30 minutes looking over the skiff and another hour going over Willard South's cruiser again. Nothing I dug out of either one added up. Neither did the results of a trip to the cable office. There had been no recent escapes from the prisons. Right from the beginning, for all my prying and all my questions, I hadn't gotten one positive lead. But by this time, there were so many things I couldn't put my finger on that I began to reason why not make a weapon of just that. So I started again with Luke Rager, the first person I'd met in the investigation. I found him aboard his boat. Dollar, what's got into you anyway? I'm sick and tired of the runaround and double talk I've been getting. I don't get it. You will. You were quick to make yourself available to me when I showed up here. Why, Crater? I thought you needed some help. You wanted a boat, I had one. I think you mean somebody else needed help. That piece of line you pointed out to Officer Shaw and me on South's cruiser, the short piece. Who cut it? I don't know. How should I know who cut it? It's one of the things you better get straight. You said it had been used to tow the skiff. But the line of the skiff had not been cut. What does that mean? That you were lying. Now, I'm no sailor. But why cut a line when loosening a couple of half hitches would free the skiff? But it was cut, wasn't it? The line you pointed out was cut. And you made your point that Willard South always trailed the skiff. Why? Because you wanted the search for it to go on. Because you knew his wife was alive and would be found in it. I think the tropics have got you, Dollar. You don't think I can break this case down, do you? Because half of the non-tourists on the island are willing to lie to cover up for her. I don't care how noble their loyalty is. This case is going to be broken down. Because there's a reason Coast Guard planes can search for three days and not find her. But that night, after dark, your friend Bracken can. Her story of the other boat and the two men. If the South Cruiser had been stolen, the other boat would have been found. How do you know what happened? I know that a doctor will be here in less than 18 hours who will prove that Georgina South did not spend three days adrift. Dollar! You don't know what you're talking about. Where are you going? To cable the doctor. Now, wait a minute. 
don't know what you're doing, Dollar. I was told what to do when I was sent down here. Leave things as they are, Dollar. Believe me, it's the right thing to do. Not where I come from. Well, I can't let you. Mr. Kager! Mr. Kager, I order you to stop. Stop, or I have the right. You, you heard him, Kager. You heard him. Take it easy. Listen to me, Dollar. Sometimes right, the way you find it in the book, isn't right. Remember that I told you. Oh, well, I'm sorry, Mr. South. I didn't see you in the swing. I wouldn't have barged in. Oh, you startled me. I must have been dozing. There's been so little sleep. Yes, I know. I went to the hospital first. They told me that Georgina had come home. Yes, she did. I'll have to see her, please. Why must you see her, Mr. Dollar? I think you know. You know. Willard's brother knows. Captain Bracken and his crewmen know. Luke Crager, Dr. Gar. I'm not sure how many others. Well, I'm afraid I... Please, please, what's the use? You shouldn't have tried it, no matter how you felt. You should have realized that it wouldn't work. Even way down here in the Virgin Islands, a murderer is hard to protect. Where is she? Who told you this? There were too many mistakes. Lou Crager made the biggest one. Uh, you two are making one, Mr. Dollar. I'm sorry, Mrs. South. Murder is murder. They speak of heredity and environment. Many say that heredity will never be overcome. Others say that environment will win out. But both are right and both are wrong. Mrs. South. My husband and I took our boys from the poorest foundling home we could find. Paul is one of the best. But Willard... Willard didn't deserve to live. Mother. He became more bestial every day. He couldn't live any longer. Mother. Mother. No don't, more don't. secrets, Georgina, my dear. I must tell Mr. Dollar the truth. It's I who've been hiding behind my friends. I'm the murderer. I killed Willard. I had to. I had to before he destroyed us all. Expense account item two, $85.40. Miscellaneous expenses in Charlotte Annalee. Item three, same as item one, transportation back to Hartford. Expense account total, $373. Remarks? I tabbed the confession as a false one when I heard it. And I'm not charging the company for the time I spent trying to prove it false. But it wasn't. It was true. And so is the awkward fact that a large number of the leading villagers are liable as accessories after the fact of murder. It should develop into quite a trial. Yours truly. Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Wilbur Hatch. Edmund O'Brien's latest pictures, the Paramount Pictures production, The Redhead and the Cowboy. Featured in tonight's cast were Irene Hubbard as Evangela, Jan Miner as Georgina, Gilbert Mack as Lou, Fran Lafferty as Celeste, Ed Latimer as Sam, Maurice Tarplin as Shoy, and Bernard Lindrow as the Doctor. This is Olin Tice inviting you to join us next week at this time when Edmund O'Brien returns in another transcribed adventure of... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, another mystery on Mystery Radio XXX. The F.W. Fitch Company presents Dick Powell as private investigator Richard Rogue in Rogue's Gallery. Laugh a while, let a song be your style, you stitch shampoo. Don't despair, use your head, save your hair, you stitch shampoo. W. Fitch Company, makers of Fitch's saponified coconut oil shampoo and Fitch's shaving creams, presents Dick Powell as private investigator Richard Rogue. In Rogue.
Gallery. Rogue speaking. I guess it wouldn't be polite for me to make the statement that Judge Colin Baker was a snake. I'll just say I think there was some truth in the rumor that he did shed his skin three times a year. The judge, who isn't a judge anymore, was a big barrel-chested guy with a dramatic mop of wavy white hair worn in a sort of a modified wind-blown bob, the better to impress the juries with. He'd made himself a reputation back east as a fire-eating DA, and then later as a hanging judge. He'd been out here about five years and had built a statewide reputation as a brilliant criminal lawyer on a set-a-thief-to-catch-a-thief basis. He had just won a big case and he was having a cocktail party at his penthouse apartment on top of the building which housed his plush officers. Betty, uh, Betty Callahan had covered the trial. And now she and the photographer from her paper were covering the party. I tagged along. Oh, there was a dandy crowd there. Pasty-faced politicians, tired-faced women, and the old two-faced judge in all of his glory. I think it's a lovely party. Oh, Richard, isn't this a lovely place? Clear up here on top of this building. Just like living on a mountain. Yeah, only you can't lock the bottom entrance of a mountain. <laughs> you see anybody here you would really like to know? Now, don't be bitter. You know I had to come here tonight. I don't like these people any better than you do. Well, get it over with as soon as you can. Let's go someplace where I can take my hand off my pocketbook. Well, well, my dear Miss Callahan, I'm oh. sorry I couldn't get over to you before. Indeed I am. I saw you come in, but Richard Rogue, I'm so glad you could come, sir. Thanks. And now, my dear, I suppose you like some pictures. I see you have a photographer with you. How thoughtful of you. Yes. Uh, could I get a group around the fireplace? Just you and the people connected with the trial, the, uh, the defendant and the witnesses. Of and, course. Uh... I'll round them up for you immediately. Oh, thank you, Jerry. Yeah. Mike. Yeah? You ready to go? Hey, they're sure serving good looking here. Real scotch. None of that near scotch I get at the bar. Good. Now, here's what I want, Mike. Get me some shots of the group that's forming over by the fireplace. Right. We'll put the judge in the middle and um, have everybody congratulating him and the man he saved from the gas chamber. I can think of a few captions for that picture. Richard. Yeah, we couldn't quit him. Mm. <laughs> you can't call a prominent guy like the judge a crook, and you can't call a murderer a murderer after a boy jury says he's not. You get the idea, Mike. Come on, Mike. You stay right here, Richard. I'll be back as soon as we've covered the art angle on the story. And then we leave, right? Yeah. Just as soon as I can, dear. I uh, wandered around in the crowd and listened in to scraps of conversations. Jim Dorset, an oily politician on the judge's payroll, was talking with, uh, with a Mary Miller. Mary's a self-made wealthy widow whom the judge had defended uh, after she'd poisoned her husband. She was glaring hate at the judge like a death ray, and I moved within earshot of them. Well, Mary, you enjoying yourself at this testimonial to our friend's genius? I'd rather be at his wake. I'd enjoy my cocktails more. You can count me in on that, too. I'm surprised at you, though, Mary. He got you out of a pretty bad spot, didn't he? Yes, for exactly half the money Fred left me. I didn't kill Fred, you know. I was innocent. Oh, sure, sure. Well, here's to meeting you again soon. At his wake. Happy little gathering. The laughter, which was bouncing off the high ceiling, had all the gay spontaneity of an open grave. But everybody was getting along with the judge. He was a big man. He had lots of money, lots of power. In a way, I couldn't help admiring the old boy posing over by the immense fireplace, tossing that snowy mane of his about, and filling the rooms with his deep-throated laughter. Betty finally got all of the pictures she wanted and came glaring over to me. I got a little lump in my throat like I always do when I see Betty. Oh, if Mark Anthony could have seen her, Cleopatra would have been in the second barge, rowing. We'll leave in just a moment, Richard. 
We have to stay and drink one toast to the judge. He's going to be hurt if we don't. Well, I wouldn't want to cause him pain. Oh, he's getting our cocktails now. He's going to bring them over. Okay. Did you get some pretty pictures of the old windbag? He's charming. I like him. Hmm. Shh. Here he comes. How can you like a guy like that? Here, here we are. Hope they're not too strong. <laughs> Miss Callahan, I wonder if you would forgive me if I borrowed Mr. Rogue for just a moment. Hmm? I have something I wish to ask his advice on privately. Why? Uh, couldn't we make it tomorrow, Judge? Betty and I uh, Tomorrow will be too late, I'm afraid, Mr. Rogue. This will only take a few minutes. You won't mind, will you, Miss Callahan? No, of course not. Okay, all right, Judge. Uh, where do we go? My study, right through here. All right, Judge. Yeah, right, right. This judge has sure did a fine job. Now, I received a rather alarming note tonight, Mr. Rogue. Yes? When? It was under my glass when I returned to the serving table after those pictures were taken. Here it is. Hmm. Paper and envelope from the dime store, huh? Well, can't trace them. Hmm. Well, let's have a see here. Hmm. Have a good time, you murderer. You won't be alive at this time tomorrow night. You're going to celebrate an anniversary. You can't run so far that I won't find you and kill you. Hmm. Unsigned, of course. Printed in block letters with no skill. Anybody could have written that. And anybody could have left it there on the serving table. That's right. There have been a hundred people drifting in and out of here. You, uh, take the note seriously? Rogue, I've had threatening letters before, of course, but this one, well, I have a hunch about it. A premonition. We'll return to our story in just a moment. First, when it comes to good grooming, your mirror can't tell you everything. It can't tell you how much clean, fragrant hair adds to that indefinable something called charm. Don't take chances on detracting from your loveliness. Keep your hair fresh and clean-smelling at all times by using Fitch's saponified coconut oil shampoo regularly. This clear, golden liquid shampoo lathers magnificently and washes away dust, dirt, perspiration, and unpleasant odors from your hair. Fitch's saponified shampoo is made from mild coconut and pure vegetable oils. It never leaves the hair dry or harsh feeling. Thus, you can use it as often as you like, and be sure that your hair is shining clean and free from offending odors. Have a professional application of Fitch's saponified coconut oil shampoo the next time you're at your barber or beauty shop. Or buy a bottle at your drug or toilet goods counter. Ask for the economical large size, 16 ounces for $1. Now back to Dick Powell as private investigator Richard Rogue in Rogue's Gallery. I didn't want to go to the party in the first place. But I wanted to be with Betty Callahan, and she had to be there. It was a victory cocktail party which Judge Colin Baker was throwing to celebrate the fact that he'd cleared another guilty murderer. I wasn't particularly happy when the judge took me in his study and showed me a note threatening him with death within the next 24 hours. In fact, I didn't pay much attention until I looked at the judge's face. He was scared. Rogue, I've had threatening letters before, but this one... Well, I have a hunch about it, a premonition. Well, what are you going to do about it? The safest place in the world for me to stay is right here in this penthouse, and I want you to stay with me, Rogue. Me? I'll pay you well for your time, and... What's uh, well? I'll give you $500 if you'll stay with me for the next 24 hours, Mr. Rogue. Oh, oh 500 clams, huh? Well, Judge, that, uh, that makes it very interesting. You'll accept the assignment, then? Like a flash. Just let me explain it to Betty Callahan. I... I was supposed to take her out tonight. Very well. I'm sure Miss Callahan will understand when you tell her about the fee. I need you, Mr. Rogue. So, you 
so busy you have to break your date with me. That's a habit of yours, isn't it, Richard? Oh, I... Well, you won't ever have to do it again. You'll never have another chance. To. Oh, but, Daddy, maybe listen, the judge figures someone is going to try to kill him tonight. You don't want to be a party to a murder, do you? You're not worried a bit about the judge, and you know it, Richard. You're thinking of that $500. Well, is that bad? Five bills will buy a lot of entertainment. You can have a lot of joy on $500. Don't knock it. Don't sneer at it. Well, I suppose I might just as well get Mike to take me home. I should have known that you'd get a better offer. You always do. Mike! Yes, Miss Callahan? Uh, well, uh, Miss Callahan, uh, I'm afraid I owe you an apology. Oh, no, Judge. I can't very well blame you if my friend Richard is so crazy about that money. Judge, I, uh, I got word for you. I can't take the assignment. But I have your word, Mr. Rogue. Well, I wouldn't want you to break your word with anybody else, Richard. Oh, no. Are you ready, Mike? You can shove off, Mike. I'm taking Miss Callahan home. Well, okay by me. I'm, uh, I'm really sorry, Judge, but... Now, look, you two youngsters, there's no point in having a disagreement over this. Why don't you just stay here until the rest of the guests leave? They're beginning to leave now. Then, Mr. Rogue... You can take Miss Callahan home and come back. Ah, that would leave you alone for about an hour. There's only one entrance to this place. That's my private elevator. I'll give you the key. You can lock it as you leave. No one can possibly get up here. Oh, I don't want to cause all that trouble. Oh, it'll only be a little while, baby. I hope you'll do this favor for me, Miss Callahan. I need Mr. Rogue's moral support tonight. Even at my age, I feel that I'm too young to die. Betty and I hung around for another hour until all the guests either walked or were helped from the cocktail party. Then the judge and I went through the penthouse like acid goes through cotton. We looked under everything that was raised from the floor and behind everything that stood a foot high. Then we turned on the floodlights and searched the area surrounding the penthouse. Then the roof. There was nobody there. The judge was alone when Betty and I rode his private elevator and locked it with a foolproof lock before we got into my car and headed for her place. Betty was annoyed and, uh... That ride home was as romantic as a tub full of wet wash. But uh, she'd been annoyed before, and I wasn't worried. I left her at her apartment and fiddle-footed out to my car. I opened the car door, bent to get in. Oh! Lightning struck behind my ear. I heard the thunderbolts rocketing past and latched onto one. For a wild ride through the firmament. Stars kept exploding in my face, but I I hung on until I saw my home away from home. Oh, good old Cloud Eight. I let go, dropped an eon or two, and landed as softly as a smoke ring. I didn't open my eyes for a moment. This isn't... Oh, no, Chiefy. You're way north of there, oh. and you're alive. Oh, I'm glad to know that. What happened? Somebody knocked you out of the park, Rogie, and then you went for an automobile ride, and then... Oh, I go... gotta get out of here. Oh, yes, you do. You've been gone a long time. An old friend of yours is trying to get through to you. Do you know what time it is, Rogie? No. All right, Hugo. Give me a shove. So long, Chiefy. See you next week. (laughs) 
brought you up here, chloroformed you, and handcuffed you to this tree with your own handcuffs. You need a bodyguard, Rogie. How did uh, you find me? Well, I got a phone call telling me where you were to bring a file. Stand still or I'll leave you here. Oh, okay. Hmm. Who did it? Uh, I'm why? waiting for you to tell me that. Oh, I don't get it. Somebody wanted you out of the way for a while, Rogie. Now, do you want to tell me what you're mixed up in? I wasn't on a case, and I... Ooh, careful. Oh. There. Now you have to get a new chain for your bracelets, but anyway, you're unharnessed from that tree. Look, Urban, I, uh, I was supposed to be bodyguarding Judge Colin Baker last night. Bodyguarding that crook? Why? Well, he, uh, he got a death threat and a note found on the serving table during a cocktail party. Go on. Yeah, somebody promised to kill him within 24 hours. What'd you leave him for? I took, uh, took Betty Callahan home. Somebody must have followed me when I left the judge's penthouse. They knocked me out as I left Betty. Oh, maybe we'd better check on the judge's health. Maybe that note wasn't kidding. How do you feel? Uh, woozy. Uh, you can hang your head out the window on the way back. We'd better see whether your client needs a bodyguard or an undertaker. My head was full of feathers and my hands felt heavy on my arms. My mouth was lined with brown blotting paper and my shoes were full of lead. I wasn't feeling very well as as I got in Urban's official sedan and headed for the penthouse where I'd left Judge Colin Baker. My head ached like a broken heart until I took a couple of pills from Urban's first aid kit. And by the time we pulled up in front of the office building, I felt like I had a chance at living if I wanted to. And I decided I wanted to. The private penthouse elevator was still locked, just as I'd left it. That made me glad. We entered it. Maybe we should have called before we took this trip. No, I I want to see the old boy. I owe him an apology, if he's still alive. How could he be dead unless somebody else had a key to this elevator? Well, they didn't. The only other keys on the judge's key ring. He told me that. And what are you worried about? I'm not worried. I uh, I just hate to give him back those nice, crisp C notes. That's all. I hope he's out. Well, this is it. Oh, good Lord. Mm. Well, the judge will never be any debtor. Mm. Blue in the face. He's been strangled, Rogie. We'll continue our story in just a moment. First, a word to the ladies. It's long been acknowledged that fragrance and charm go hand in hand. But unpleasant hair and scalp odors can banish charm in a hurry. By using Fitch's saponified coconut oil shampoo regularly, you can keep your hair flower fresh and fragrant. That's because Fitch's saponified shampoo makes billows of fragrant lather. Lather that floats away dirt, oily film, and displeasing odors from the hair. Then the lather rinses away easily and completely. You see, Fitch's saponified coconut oil shampoo contains its own special patented rinsing agent. This rinsing agent works right with the plain rinse water to assure you that your hair will be sparkling, radiant with all its natural color highlights. And there's no danger that your hair can offend others with unpleasant scalp odors, for Fitch's saponified shampoo leaves it dewy fresh and fragrant. Next time, ask for Fitch. F-I-T-C-H. Fitch's Saponified Coconut Oil Shampoo. Now, back to Dick Powell as private investigator Richard Rogue in Rogue's Gallery. Maybe I was surprised when I saw Judge Colin Baker looking up at me from the floor of his living room. I'm not sure. I had a hunch. Don't ask me why. I just had a hunch that he was dead when Urban brought me out of that stupor up there above Mulholland Drive. Judge Baker's face was as blue as a policeman's coat as he lay there, and his eyes were staring, wide open. 
Urban and I walked over to him. He's been strangled, Rogie. Yeah, yeah, looks like it. Huh. Any marks on his throat? No, no marks. Looks like there was a struggle, though. Table kicked over. Mm, how could anybody get in here? That elevator was locked. There's no other entrance. What are you trying to do? Tell me this guy's not dead? No, he's dead, all right. But how could he be strangled? Huh? <laughs> Cigarette, Urban. No, thanks, Rogie. So, he was murdered, wasn't he? Yeah, no. That calls for the medical examiner. Well, I don't get it. There was nobody here when I left. There's been nobody here since. There's... Hey, there's a peculiar odor in here. Smell it? No, no, no. Sit down, Rogie, while I look around. There's been a murder. You're mixed up in it, and I want to talk with you. Oh, you think I killed him? I didn't know him that well. I wasn't even mad at him. Hey, what's that? A check. A check for $2,500 made out to the victim and signed by Mary Miller. Was she here last night? Yeah, she was here. And she didn't like the judge. But I never heard of a dame her age doing a human fly act. Maybe she had a key to the joint. But she didn't believe me she didn't. Where's the phone? No, it's in the bedroom. Well, I'm going to use it. Wait here, Rogue. There was a peculiar order in that room, a faintly familiar order, but I couldn't place it. My poor old beat-up mind was whirling a million revolutions a minute and getting no place. And then I, I remembered the note the judge received. It had uh, mentioned an anniversary. So I decided not to wait. Instead, I took that long elevator ride and grabbed a cab for the library. May I help you? Oh, yes. I, uh, I want to see the files on the Gotham City newspapers for the last ten years. All right, sir. It's going to take me some time to get them out of the storeroom. Any specific dates? Yes, I, uh, I would like to see copies of the editions 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 years ago today. All right, sir. If you'll just have a chair. You sure you feel all right? You look ill. Oh, I, uh, I always look like this. Thank you. Just get me the papers, please. They're mighty important. Confidentially, I think they're going to solve a murder. The librarian got me the papers. I went to work on them. Gotham City was the city where Judge Colin Baker had made his reputation as a hanging judge. My hunch was as strong as a bride's coffee and it paid off. In the issue for seven years ago that day, I found the name of Judge Colin Baker on the front page. A man he had sentenced to the chair for murder had been executed, screaming his innocence. Within an hour after the electricity had torn through the body of this man... Harold Michaels, the real killer had confessed. And this was the anniversary of that legal murder. I called Betty Callahan at her paper. She wasn't there. She was covering the police investigation of Judge Baker's murder. I took a cab back to the judge's penthouse. Oh, isn't this terrible, Richard? If it hadn't been for me insisting on you taking me home, the judge would have been alive. Or I would have been dead. Where have you been, Rogie? I told you to stay here. I'm not doing your work for you, Urban. I got the motive for this murder. You have, Richard? No. What did the medical examiner have to say, Urban? Oh, you know the doc. He just did a little muttering about cyanide. Won't give any official opinion until he's had a chance to analyze the contents of the body. What's your theory on the motive? Well, I... Hey, Betty, where are you going? I'm with the working press. Mike and I are going to get some pictures. Oh, I can hear that massive intellect of yours ticking, Rogie. And I recognize that faraway look in your eyes. Now, what goes? Don't stand there like a dummy. If you've got any theories, let me in on them. Mm, cyanide, huh? Look, Urban, uh, this place is air-conditioned, isn't it? The penthouse is. The building isn't. Yeah? I'll be back in a minute. Hey, where are you going? I'll be back in a minute. I want to check that theory of mine. Cyanide. That word brought back that dainty smell I'd noticed in the apartment when Urban and I had discovered the judge's body. Cyanide. The odor of cyanide is brought out by cigarette smoke. I had been smoking when I detected it. Ah, the pieces of this murder were falling in place like a well-trained chorus. I found the ladder that led to the top of the penthouse, where the air conditioning machinery was located, ran up the ladder, gun in hand, and there he was, the murderer. 
just lifting an earthenware crock from inside the housing of the intake fan on the air conditioning system. Put it down, Mike. Make another move toward me, rogue. Now let you have this crock full of acid right in your face. What good'll that do you, Mike? You can't get away. Another five minutes and I would have been home. Free. How'd you figure me, rogue? Why'd you have to horn in? I looked up the Gotham newspapers for seven years ago today, the day Judge Baker executed a man named Harold Michaels, an innocent man. Was he your brother? Your name's Michaels, isn't it? He was my father. And I executed the man who executed him. In his own private gas chamber. Just like they do it at Quentin. I waited a long time for the chance. Look, Mike, I'm not arguing right or wrong with you, but now you're a killer. And I'm going to take you in. Put that crock down. Oh, I don't think so, Rogue. I'll just stand here. I have to think. Just for my information, Mike, how did you delay the action of the gas until you knew the judge would be alone? I thought of everything. I didn't want to hurt anybody but Baker. I hung the cyanide pellet over the acid on a piece of cotton cord. I tested it half a dozen times. You know... It took a drop of acid three hours to eat through the cord. I'm glad I killed him, Rogue. I'm coming after you, Mike. I'm not waiting, Rogue. I don't like the gas chamber. Mike. Mike. Don't. Come back here. I'm not sorry for anything. Tell him that was my payoff line, will you, Rogue? So long. No. Don't, Mike. Don't jump. <laughs> Mike's plan for murdering the man who'd caused his father's execution was as near perfect as any murder will ever be. While the guests were having whoopee at the cocktail party, he put that jar of acid in the air conditioning intake, hung the cyanide pellet over it, and was back at the party leaving that note before anybody missed him. When he found that I was going to return to spend the night with the judge, he uh, had to knock me out, get me out of the way for at least five hours three hours before the cyanide fell into its acid bath, and two more hours which it took for the air conditioning system to completely change the air in the penthouse. <laughs> well, it's clever, I thought. It, uh, yes, it uh, looks like I did it again. Had a narrow escape, though, but uh, that didn't bother me. I drive every day in the Los Angeles traffic. You know what I mean? Join us again next time on Mystery Radio X.